0: I do really appreciate the uh, introduction and your generosity and um, do consider it a privilege to be a part of the ACC. Uh, I grew up as a pastor's kid in a movement and uh, I know when God put on my heart to plant a church, I wanted to do it in partnership with a movement of uh, like-minded men men and women and not simply out there independently on my own. And I think there's something powerful about being a part of, of the ACC movement, two are better than one. And whilst we all relate and connect to different people from different streams of the body of Christ, if this is where God has planted you uh, as a part of this movement, I want to encourage you to champion it, to celebrate it, to honour it, to speak well of each other. And let's not allow our relational affiliation to simply be what happens on uh, once a year at a regional event or at state conference but but let's be intentional about building uh, quality relationships with each other and encouraging each other Uh, as iron sharpens iron we sharpen each other and um, I get the privilege now and have been doing so for six years of of traveling around speaking at different churches conferences you know I was just hearing Pastor Shane talk about uh, possessing territory and and gaining new ground and um, I minister quite regularly in indonesia and it's amazing 30 to 35 percent of indonesia is now born again believers attending church and following jesus in the largest islamic nation on earth and uh, and that comes from Islamic politicians. You won't read that on Wikipedia, um, but that, that's an, an, an in-house current stat. And I began to think about as I see the move of God there, you know, the same Holy Spirit that's working in Indonesia is the same Holy Spirit uh, in Melbourne and in Victoria and in Australia. And whilst our cultures may be different and whilst there's different challenges, you know, I, I just believe that if we would be obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit in our own heart, and lives, if we would be prayerful people, if we would be people that are filled with the Holy Spirit, if we would be people that are daring to step out in faith and go to those places that God is putting on our hearts, we too will have our own stories and our own testimonies and our own victories. I don't know about you, but growing up, I was like, I heard everyone else share their story. I read everyone else's story and I was like, I want to get my own stories. Is anyone else there with me? That there comes a time where we've got to, instead of being uh, second-hand witnesses of someone else's breakthrough, we have got to become first-hand witnesses of our own walk with God and our own stories and testimonies, uh, because not only are they happening, but they're waiting to still to happen in people's lives that aren't yet in our churches. And so tonight, I really just come to serve you. Uh, thank you so much for the invitation, the opportunity. And I just know that as we open up our hearts, that God is going to come and speak and uh, I, be, I believe both corporately and personally, prophetically. So uh, why don't we pray together? i just love a little bit more microphone to save my voice over the next few days. Thank you. Um, and uh, let's, let's get into it. Father, we just thank you so much. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness, and we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your kindness towards us, God. Lord, when we sometimes are hard on ourselves, when we uh, deserve less than what you extend to us, your loving kindness leads us to repentance your goodness, your grace, your mercy, Lord, leads us to a place of a deeper connection and relationship with you. And Father, I pray for any pastor or leader here tonight that may have gone through a season, maybe even today, Father, of hearing something, maybe a criticism, a report, facing something in their lives where they feel like you're angry with them. They feel like they're messed up and they're not good enough. Lord, remind us again, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by your spirit. Remind us again. God, that whilst we may not all feel qualified in the natural, Lord, when you anoint us and when you fill us and when you call us, you give us the tools, you give us the grace, you give us what we need, O God, to be able to fulfill the calling upon our lives. And Father, tonight I pray that as we come around your word, that Lord, there would be the same resolve in our hearts, Lord, that like David, we would serve the purposes of God in our generation, O God, and we would not, Lord, be out of breath until we do. And I pray, Father, that there would be an atmosphere, oh God, but of your spirit of exhortation and encouragement in this room. Jesus, come and be the prophet. Jesus, come and be the preacher and the teacher. Jesus, encourage us tonight because, Lord, we need it. Lord, we give out and we give out and we give out. We pour our lives into others. Tonight, God, come and pour into us. Lord, even as I preach, come and pour into me, Father. Lord, let, let, let this be a, a, a mutual, a, a beneficial transaction of your blessing, your grace, your power, your anointing. Father, we love you, we honor you, and we commit not only this night, but we commit this year to you. We commit this Uh, Area and region of Melbourne to you We ask for your blessing and favour upon it We ask that churches would be fruitful and multiply We ask, oh God, that you'd raise up men and women To plant new works and new churches and new ministries We ask, oh God, for good success, Lord For our youth ministries, for youth alive For young adults, for campuses Lord, that we would be more in unity More on mission, more on purpose Than we've ever been before or God, we believe it can be, because if you be for us, who dare be against us? And so, Father, come and move amongst us. Speak to us now. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. I want to read uh, five verses to you. And uh, this is a message that God gave me at the start of the year. Uh, I've started to uh, preach it briefly. With some pastors and leaders around the place, but I believe it's in God's heart for us. I be, it's a challenging message, but how many know a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down? And uh, and whenever God comes and and uh, ministers to us um, and does surgery on our hearts, He also wants to do it in a way that we can receive, because the Bible says, "Taste and see that God is good," not taste and see that uh, God is bitter, but He's sweet, He's good. But even when he comes to challenge us as his people, I believe he does it in a way that we can receive it. Um, Second Timothy chapter three verse one. Uh, I'm reading from um, ESV and uh, says this. But understand this: that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control. At this point in the reading, we're all getting depressed, right? Brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, which is just pride. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power avoid such people. Having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. I want to speak to you tonight on the subject, substitutes for the supernatural. Substitutes for the supernatural. I was in Adelaide uh, last year and I was ministering at a prophetic night and uh, I was ministering to a few people and the Holy Spirit um, highlighted an individual on my right hand side and it was a man and showed me a picture of a 1957 black and white Chevy, a muscle car. And, uh, and God began to show me this picture of this man working on this muscle car and he was working on the engine. It was his pride and joy. Uh, it was something he took great care of, but he discovered a problem in the engine that he couldn't fix. And no matter how hard he tried, he couldn't fix it. He went and called a friend who was more of a specialist mechanic, came, looked at the car, and quite quickly resolved the issue. This man hopped in his car and drove off. The Lord began to give him the interpretation. And the Lord said... This man is that 1957 black and white Chevrolet. He takes great pride in himself. He takes great pride in being able to solve his own problems. But he's facing a personal problem in his life and in his family. He can't fix. He can't resolve. But tonight in this meeting, he's going to meet the chief shepherd of his soul who's going to come and minister to his heart and fix that problem. And uh, he's going to never be the same again. As I shared this with him, I said, Is, does any of this resonate with you? He said, I am a car mechanic of sports muscle cars. And at 5.30 p.m. this afternoon, I closed up my shop working on a 1957 black and white Chevrolet. True story. Little did I know that he had been invited along by some friends at the church. He brought his wife and kids. They did not know the Lord, but when the secrets of their heart were revealed, as 1 Corinthians 14 says, they came down the front at that altar call and the entire family surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ. At the end of the day, isn't that the purpose of signs and wonders happening? Is that it points people to the person and the reality of who Jesus is? And whenever God moves in a demonstration of his power, it's not just that the the demonstration of power affects change in that moment, it's God actually revealing something to us about his nature and about who he is, that if that demonstration of power wasn't visible or wasn't seen, we would be missing a fundamental aspect of the truth of who God is in our midst and in our lives. In fact, when you think about 1 Corinthians 12, the manifestation. Manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. That word manifestation in the Greek phanerosis actually means the unveiling of that which is hidden. In fact, when God manifests himself by the power of his Holy Spirit, we're actually seeing something that was hidden about the character of God, hidden about the nature of God, all of a sudden become visible and smack us in the face where God is not just saying, hey, I'm present. God is saying, this is who I am. I am. This is what I do. This is my heart for you. You see, the Bible says in John 4 24 that God is spirit. Jesus is speaking to the Samaritan woman, and he says, Those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So if we're going to relate to God in a healthy, fruitful, effective way, we've got to understand not only his nature. Not, not only who he is, but we've got to understand how to approach him. In spirit and in truth. Isaiah 55 says, For my thoughts aren't your thoughts and my ways aren't your ways. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher, so are my thoughts greater. And, and often what we do in our ministries as pastors and leaders, is we are looking, uh, horizontally. We're looking sideways at what someone else is doing and what other great growing church is implementing in, in their, in the life of their church and the culture of their church. And all those things are good and great. But if we narrow our ministries down to simply hosting events, planning events and running programs and we don't engage in the spirit and truth dimension of who God is and we don't engage in the supernatural nature of who God is in our church meetings, we are missing a fundamental point of why we are here. We're simply going through the motions of spinning our wheels and running the organization of church life, failing to accurately represent the heart and the purpose of who God is in our culture and, in, and on, our, on our planet. You see, the supernatural actually means over and above the natural realm. And whilst the word supernatural is not a Bible word, it definitely is a Bible concept. The Bible is filled with examples and stories and illustrations and encounters of the supernatural. When you think about Moses leading God's people, confronts the Red Sea, lifts up his rod of authority that God had given to him, and God parts the Red Sea. When you think about Joshua commanding the sun to stand still, just so that Israel's enemies could be dealt with, and the sun stands still, it's a supernatural phenomena. When you think about Jonah being swallowed by a great fish and still survive three days later, Get spit out at the purpose of God and the beachhead of Nineveh, you're witnessing a supernatural event. When you think about Daniel and the lion's den, and we got hungry lions. These have not been pre-fed, pre-warned. These are lions that want to destroy and eat people, and yet he emerges without a scratch. We're witnessing a supernatural event. Fast forward to the new covenant when we're dealing with the apostle Peter at the gate beautiful and Peter and John says, silver and gold, I do not have, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. They extend their hand. The man rises up and walk. What are we encountering? The supernatural. The Bible is filled from Genesis to Revelation of supernatural happenings that give us glimpses into the nature, the character, and the spirit and truth of who God is. If the supernatural, therefore, is missing from the church, the church loses not only the ability to affect change in our culture and in people's lives, but we lack A a fundamental dimension of representing who God is to the world around about us. And the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy and he says, In the last days, there will be some, could be believers, could not be, but there will be some who will have the appearance of godliness, but will lack the power of godliness. In other words, parts of the church will have a form, a fashion of religiosity, a form of godliness, but will lack the substance, the ability to affect any change. Now, I don't know about you, but as I travel around, grown up in the church, my parents were pastors, there is nothing more dangerous to the life of the kingdom and the life of a local church then when we as pastors, leaders, and believers start to practice religion without the presence of God. Well, we've just gone through the motions of ritualistic worship, where we've got another regional event, we turn up, we go through the motions, gee, I'm glad that's done, let's get on with the rest of our lives. Or, or you know, attend a small group, give a love offering, you know, as a token thing. And, and we sort of go through the motions, but we lack the substance and the power Of what it actually means to be a godly people who worship him and who pursue him in spirit and truth. You see, if the substance of God's power is removed from our ministries, you are forced to replace it with substitutes. Because you've got to keep the wheels of the organization running. I mean, we've got to keep people showing up. And we've got to keep the tithes and offerings coming in. And we've got to keep the church doors open. And we're going to look like we know what we're doing here. And we've got to keep up the religious social work going on that we're doing in the community. And we are going to keep on doing what we're doing because, you know, we're a church. This is who we are. This is what we do. And what often happens is by little degree and little degree, we move away from the central call of what we as pastors, leaders, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers have been called to when God called us to the ministry representing not only the heart of God, but the power of God in spirit and truth to a world that desperately needs it. So I began to think about as I'm reading this passage, well, Lord, what are some of the substitutes for the supernatural in the church today? Why don't we just... Look at what some of those are and I would encourage you to, to buckle your seatbelt and, and and just to not go, you know, well, that's great for that person down the aisle and the pew and, and that's not relevant for me. But I'd encourage you to go, Lord, where am I on each of these substitutes starting to substitute the patterns of the supernatural in my life and ministry? I began to think about firstly, we've replaced faith with reason. Reason and logic has replaced faith. And yet I read in Hebrews 11.3, by faith, we understand. Yeah. By faith, we understand. We have replaced that with, by education, we understand. Now, but before you start throwing rocks, I'm pro-education. I'm pro-Bible college. I've, I, I've, I've studied at Bible college and... uh and uh, um, committed myself to lifelong learning. Uh, we have Bible colleges represented here. Please don't send me letters. Please don't send Pastor Ian letters. Um, Uh, uh, we we are pro encouraging. In fact, every uh, young man or woman of God and older man or woman I get in contact with or begin to speak into their lives about the call of God to ministry, I encourage them, hey, why don't you go to Bible college and just get on the track and start to position yourself and to learn and to grow. I'm pro education, but I want to say this, that if your education is stronger than your revelation, you're going to struggle to live by faith. You can have all the logic, you can have all the reason, you can have all of the insight, you, you can read Greek, you can read Hebrew, but if you lack revelation, you're going to struggle to live by faith. Why? Because maybe not so much in our Christian uh, educational institutions, but definitely in our secular educational institutions, the primary influence upon education in our current culture is secular humanism. And secular humanism elevates human reason above faith. It puts down people of faith. It puts down the church's position on certain matters of faith. I can remember when uh, mum and dad were pastoring a church in uh, Glenroy uh, in the, the north uh, western suburbs of Melbourne when my father was diagnosed with a malignant tumour on his tongue. He'd been preaching for 20 plus years. The reason and logic of the doctor diagnosing the issue said, we're going to have to cut out three quarters of your tongue. You'll never speak again the same way. And how many of us know for a preacher, that's a problem. Um, when you, your living is preaching the gospel. Your living is counseling, pastoring people, ministering to people. Reason said, you're never going to be the same again because you need to go through this process. And I remember being at church with my mother. And I would have been in uh, maybe 12, 13 at the time. Dad came back from the doctor sharing the news. He picked up his Bible and he went down the front of the church at the altar. And for the next five days... For up to eight hours a day, he knelt at that altar and laid out his Bible. And And whilst reason and logic said, this is what's happening, by faith he stepped into a dimension of spirit and truth, of who God says he is, what God says he can do. And as he began to seek God, we even noticed, without any expert opinion, something began to change about the texture of of the growth that was on his tongue. He goes back seven days later, the doctor says, it's changed, it looks different, we need to test it again before we uh, perform surgery on it, and it came back benign, and within about two or three weeks, his tongue was completely back to normal, healed, because although reason and logic said, this is what it is. Therefore, this is what needs to happen. And I'm advocating uh, medical health as much as anybody. I'm just saying, you've got to work out in your life as a pastor and leader, are you going to live by reason alone or are you going to live by faith? It's by faith we understand. There are some things in the kingdom of God you'll never understand except but by faith. You see, when reason encounters the unexplainable, fear and criticism is always the outcome. That's why Jesus would often say, and that's why when an angel would turn up to visit someone, they'd say, don't be afraid. Why? Because fear and criticism and rejection is often the outcome of something your logic and reason cannot fathom or understand. And so as we press into faith, as we press into the supernatural, we need to take the people in our church congregations on a journey of helping them overcome the, the reason and the logic that will reject and push back the supernatural in, 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 for the choice of control in our local congregations. I love what John Calvin said. He said, knowledge from science is so much smoke without the heavenly science of Christ. You see, in the kingdom of God, you must believe before you understand. Before you can access God's purposes and ways, his thoughts and his ways that are higher than ours, it comes through the doorway of faith. I think that's why Paul in Ephesians 1.16 said that he prayed for God to give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation. That we would know the hope to which we are called. And not simply to to have a surface level awareness or understanding of the hope to which we've been called, but a depth of wisdom and revelation that would inspire those we lead to live by faith and not just by human reason. Not only that, but I think counseling has replaced deliverance. Now, for all of you amazing Christian counselors out there, I am pro-counseling. Can I hear a good amen? I I am pro-counseling. I mean, every month, to be honest with you, I debrief with a Christian counselor at least for an hour one because I don't want to uh, fry my wife, and 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 if you're a, a spouse in this room, that's good advice right there. If you want to sow good seeds into your marriage, ministerially and pastorally, find someone else to fry rather than your spouse. And so uh, I, I I literally sit down, uh, and, and when I say fry, I'm only joking, but 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 I I literally sit down once a month and I debrief about my life, my ministry, everything that's going on. When my mother, 59 year old mother, passed away. Two years ago, on Mother's Day, after wrestling with a lung disease for 20 years, I cannot tell you the help, the benefit, the encouragement, the healing that took place in sitting down with an ably qualified Christian counsellor and taking me through that journey. I believe in it, practice it, I want to encourage you to do it, but the great emphasis in the Gospels and the book of Acts is on deliverance, not counselling. And my concern is that we've got pastors and leaders and believers in our churches who don't know what to do, what Jesus did when he encountered the demonic realm. Over 40% of Jesus' ministry in the Gospels had to do with spiritual warfare, had to do with dealing with... with, with um, empowering his disciples to cast out devils and see people set free. I can remember when I was on staff at a church that shall remain nameless. Um, I, I got a phone call at midnight from one of the other staff pastors who's way more experienced than me. And they were dealing with uh, one of the members of their creative team. It's always a creative team. And, and they're dealing with the member of their creative team. And, and this person's manifesting and, and, and sort of drawing lots of attention to themselves in their house. And this, this person calls me in desperation. This person got great experience in ministry. And I'm like, I'm like, why are you calling me? It's midnight. One, I want to go to sleep. Two, my number is not 1-800-Ghostbusters. Don't call me when you've got a problem. You deal with it. But they said, look, we don't know what to do. And I remember going and driving there and as I stepped through the front door of the house, this person I was going to minister to did not know that I was coming to minister to them. In a rather strange voice, they yelled out, "Uh, Corey, don't bother, we're not leaving. I said to the host well at least I know I'm in the right house and and so you know because you've got to have a sense of humor with these things and so I remember as I stepped through and began to minister not only was a great opportunity for that person to be set free and now is in full-time ministry as a pastor in a local church and minister a family and ministry flourishing because of what God did in their lives but it became an opportunity to to as a tool to be able to educate and encourage others in their own journey when it comes to spiritual Spiritual warfare. You see, if there's something I've learned where there is a vacuum of teaching a, a, and mature approach and expression to deliverance ministry, there will be an ignorance and a distortion of it that will not help the growing maturity of the congregation in ministering and pastoring and counseling people in this situation, I've learned you cannot counsel or medicate a demon. It doesn't matter how much you sit with them and you talk it through and some pastors are burning themselves out because they're trying to bring about transformation and change that ultimately only God can do. And they're going around the mountain talking about the same issues and the same stuff's happening. And, and you think you're getting somewhere and then we're back at ground zero again. It's because when the a person is oppressed by demonic spirits in their life and there is an influence of that until that is dealt with the mind renewal will not take care of itself You see when jesus sent the 72 out he gave them authority to cast out demons and they came back in luke chapter 10 and said even the demons are subject to us in your name not our name in your name. And Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've often read that as being like a negative thing, like they were in pride. Oh no, he's talking about is the power and the stronghold of Satan's influence was beginning to crumble and fall as the church went out in the power of the Holy Spirit to bring transformation in people's lives. Not only that, but I've observed that count, uh, charisma has replaced anointing. This just gets worse, people. I'm just letting you know, this just gets worse. All right, Charisma has replaced anointing. John 3.8 says, what's born of the flesh is flesh, but what's born of the spirit is spirit. Here's the million dollar question. How can you tell the difference between the flesh and the spirit? Is it by skinny jeans (laughs) or a three-piece suit or tears in your jeans or like really cool jacket or how can you tell the difference between the flesh and the spirit? It's actually none of those things because I've seen the flesh in operation as you have in both of those environments and cultures and I've seen the spirit in operation in both of those environments and cultures. The Bible says, you shall know them by their fruit. You see, if the fruit of a ministry is transformed lives, testimonies. Not just the numbers or the crowd, but the testimonies. If the fruit of a ministry is the testimonies and the transformation of people's lives, who are not just having an encounter, but becoming more like Jesus you're probably dealing with the anointing. If the fruit of the ministry is simply that there's a crowd of people there, it could be 10, it could be 100, it could be 1,000, could be 10,000, but there's not necessarily many testimonies or much transformation and people aren't necessarily becoming more like Jesus, we may be dealing with the flesh. The number of people isn't the issue. It's the fruit of the testimonies of people's lives. You see, if you chase testimonies, if you chase the fruit of transformation in people's lives, don't worry that the the the, 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 the uh, reputation will take care of itself. Jesus made himself of no reputation. But he was about seeking and saving the lost. He was about discipling those whom the Father had he called to him and entrusted him with. And as he began to serve and minister, the fruit of transformation, although painfully slow for Jesus at times in the the lives of the disciples, began to take effect as the power of the Spirit was applied to what Jesus had taught them. You see, I've learned charismatic personalities attract people, but they don't change people. They made a track and and, and and I'm all for, you know, whoever God has wired you up to be, charismatic personality or not, be who you are. Be who God's wired you up to be. But let me tell you, we need more than charisma in the church in Melbourne. We need more than simply just an attractive stage or an attractive personality behind the pulpit. It's the anointing that breaks the yoke of bondage on people's lives. We need men and women who are anointed and filled with the Spirit of God. And that only happens in the prayer closet. That only happens out the back with God in the in the woodshed where he deals with issues and matters of your heart, where you're living a life of consecration, set apart, fit for the master's use. It does not happen because you watch something on YouTube and thought, that's really cool, let's do that. No, it happens because we're walking with Jesus every day of our lives. There is a difference between charisma and anointing, not only that, but entertainment has replaced worship. John four twenty four says God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in what? Spirit and truth. Now how many of us know? Excellent musicianship, talented vocalists, and you know, the production team up the back who actually knows what they're doing is very helpful. Can we all just come into agreement and say, that's a very helpful thing. You know, just I remember uh, serving under one pastor and he was just like, you know, once a year, I just want to draw blood from a volunteer once a year just to make a point and and it was a joke. He was joking, okay, so relax. And 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 so, but he, you know, because he'd get frustrated sometimes at, at the, the lack of excellence. We've heard that word thrown around a lot uh, it, that he would see at times in the service of, of the church. But let me tell you something. I've been to some worship event where there was excellent musicianship, dazzling lights, and talented vocalists, but there wasn't a spit of the anointing. But I still remember back in 1983, when my mum and dad took on their first church of five people. It was mum, dad, myself, and two others in the church, right, in, in Carlton. And I can remember the only music that we had was a, a, a little old lady on the bass drum. Two, true story, it was in a spirit filled salvo church. And she was there on the big bass drum, and it didn't matter what song we were playing, what song we were singing. She would beat the same beat with every single song that we would sing, and we would worship. She had no teeth, so it was always a gummy kiss after church every Sunday. I remember trying to avoid her, but there's only five of us at the church. You can't it. And I remember my dad, he had an acoustic guitar and he would play. But let me tell you something. We, we pulled down heaven in those meetings. There was something. I'm not being nostalgic. I'm telling you the presence of God was there. Why? Because it wasn't about anything else other than God. We want to worship you in spirit and in truth. I've also been to some stadiums and and worship concerts where it's like, my gosh, God is here. And there's lights and camera and action and the visuals take your breath away. And you're like, you know what? This is the real deal. God is moving. God is here. There's a genuine heart and spirit. So don't get me wrong. I'm not against those things. I'm just saying, what are we going to build as a pattern of the supernatural in our churches? Is it going to be entertainment, or is, are we going to actually teach the people that worship is beyond what we do on a Sunday morning at 10 a.m., but worship is a lifestyle that when I ride my bike, I'm worshiping Jesus. When I eat my food, I'm worshiping Jesus. When I'm in the small group, and we're just hanging out, having a fella, I'm worshiping Jesus. When I'm driving my car, hello, I'm worshiping Jesus. Sometimes I fail that worship, but but let me tell you, worship is something that is an attitude of your spirit it's an attitude of your heart not something where you come and just watch and critique out of ten how do you think the worship team did today how was the pastor today oh was a bit off about four or five how how, the bass player the drummer wasn't yeah okay but, but did anyone worship in spirit and truth not only that the CEOs have replaced apostles and prophets. Ephesians 2:20 says the church is built on the foundation of apostles and prophets with Christ being the cornerstone. Amen. Ephesians 4:11 says when Christ ascended his gifts descended. He gave gifts to men and I want to add and women. He gave gifts. He gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Now, if you're here in this room today and you are a CEO or you are called to be a CEO, I want to encourage you to go after that with everything within you. We need men and women in every industry, every marketplace, every sphere of culture, society. In the political arena, in the sporting arena, in the entertainment arena, in the media arena, we need people in journalism. We need men and women of anointed men and women of God everywhere. But let me tell you something: CEOs of companies build business to increase profit margin for shareholders. That's what they do. That's the mindset. That's the agenda, that's the heart. I get it, and I support that when it's with a kingdom mentality. But in the local church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers carry anointing to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. CEOs often have volumes of leadership theories and axioms, but much of it doesn't move the church forward. It's good, it's helpful, but doesn't necessarily change anything. What moves the church isn't talk, it's power. First Corinthians 4.20 says the kingdom of God doesn't consist of talk, but a demonstration of power. And what apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers, not by title, but by grace and anointing release, is supernatural power to not only minister to the church, but to equip them to minister to the world. That's how the kingdom moves forward. That's how the kingdom advances. That's what apostles, prophets, evangelists, the fivefold ministry are anointed to do. Every gift has value one isn't more valuable than the other but God has established an order in the life of the church this is not you this is not me this is 1st corinthians 12:28 god has appointed in the church first apostles second prophets third teachers then miracles and then the list goes on That there is an order and a recognition and I am wanting to encourage us to advocate that we are recognizing not just the wiring, not just the gap that needs to be filled by an able-bodied person, but what is the anointing and the grace and the gift that they carry on their life? You see, my observation is if you get the right gift in the right seat on the right bus, the church is going to move forward church is going to move forward. And the question that I just ask us to consider tonight is where have we substituted God's pattern for the supernatural with reason? With an emphasis on the counsel of man? With charisma? With entertainment? And with modern corporate business thinking in order to build the house. Because I think we need to go back in our church culture and in our church governance and in our lives and think about where have I, where have I replaced this pattern? You see, Acts 3.19, Peter says on the day of Pentecost, repent so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus whom heaven must receive until the time for the restoration of all things. You know, everyone in this room knows or should know what repentance is. Repentance is a change of mind and heart. We know what that is. We preach it. We teach it. Hopefully, we model it. But interestingly, Jesus said in Matthew 4, 17, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You never access, you never walk into the power and dimension of what the kingdom is without going through the pathway of Repentance. Then Peter says, "Out of repentance comes refreshing. Refreshing. Have you? Has anyone ever hit the refresh button on their computer? And firstly, it not refresh. Have you discovered that? Well, it's very frustrating. It's where we throw the computer out in Jesus' name. And um, but if you hit the refresh button, what happens is everything resets. When you are refreshed in the presence of God, it's like you get a spiritual reset." It's like an upgrade. It's like all of a sudden that, that you're you, you in that place of weariness, maybe struggling, but you begin to be refreshed and all of a sudden an upgrade happens in your spirit. That can only happen in the presence of God. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, shall be refreshed. And then out of repenting and refreshment comes restoration. To restore something means to return it to its original purpose. And how's that? going to think about that? I thought, you know, everywhere I go, I'm, 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 I'm preaching in pastors' conferences all over this country and around the world. And let me tell you something: there is a cry in the heart of pastors and leaders for revival. People are crying out for a fresh move of God. And and when you when you go the pathway of repentance into a place of refreshing and restoration, you will encounter and experience the true essence of the spirit and truth of revival. It will come, it'll manifest, it'll be seen. And and I just want to stir your hearts and in many ways I feel like I'm preaching to the choir tonight. I'm preaching to... People who get this understand this and many of us would say yes and amen and maybe some of us would say, No way, but but I, I just want to encourage us to think about where in our ministries and where in our lives have we started to replace the patterns of the Acts two church with our own ideas and our own efforts and our own capacities, because if you discovered something, they're not necessarily working. They're not necessarily working. And I just want to invite you just for a moment, why don't we just stand to our feet together. and?